All right, everybody. Thank you so much, sir. All right. How's everybody doing? Everybody having a good morning? Awesome. Well, I would like to start out uh, last time I was up here in the same manner. So I'd like to read uh, our scripture for the morning. I'd like to just kind of kick it off with that, but I want y'all to stand as we do that. So a lot of, you're going to get some, some exercise for your thighs this morning. So, so you're standing up and down. Um, all right, so uh, I'm going to read this, and then right after I read it, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and I want you guys to say, thanks be to God. Amen? All right, cool. So we're going to be in John 19 this morning. John 19, verses 1 through 16, and why are we doing this? Why are we standing for the word of God? We don't do this all the time. I just personally like it, and I like it because it sets our hearts before the word of God. Like, what are we about to read? The word of, like, what are we about to read? The word of, it's amazing, like, the word of God. So that's what we're about to read. I feel excited about it. I want that same level of expectation to come for you. So go ahead, as, as I read this, even if you want to close your eyes, you want to hold your hands out, whatever you want to do to posture yourself before the word of God, go ahead and do that. So John 19, 1 through 16, then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in purple, uh, in, in a purple robe, and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. And as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. And the Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. And when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace and spoke to Jesus. And he said, where did, uh, he said, where did you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. And it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, welcome to church. That's a passage to open up with, right? <laughs> Y'all are just talking about fall and other plans and things, and then it's, we open up 
And that's okay, because this morning, I want you to know, even though we come with a, with a, a, a verse that's, that's heavy, it's a, one, of the, one of the harder things to read in Scripture is this basically trial of Jesus, I have great hope this morning for what God wants to do and what He wants to speak to you and the hope that He wants to speak to you through this morning. Um, but first, before we jump into some of that, who's seen some of these lately? Anyone? Anybody know what these are? Political ads, right? Political ads. I'm impressed, y'all. This year, they've gone the extra mile. I don't know. Has anyone noticed that? Like more than any other year, our mailbox is exploding with these. And I've been throwing them away as soon as I get them. So I had to ask around, actually. I was like, hey, does anyone have any political ads? Thanks. Thankfully, Matt Fisher was saving them. So uh, he really goes, you know, these, he informs his decisions when he reads these. I'm just kidding. No, he does it. He happened to have a few and he saved them for me because I've just been tossing them as soon as I get them. But it, it's pretty amazing, right? The effort they go through to put these out there, right? I mean, um, uh, it's, I kind of, I have a love-hate relationship with these because on one side, uh, I, I kind of hate them because it, it kind of simplifies the issues, right? You know, as soon as you read it, uh, it, it kind of, they're all saying something very simply and in a very simple way. Without any nuance, there's no supporting facts for many of the claims they're making. They just kind of say things. I mean, this one, where is it? This is, the, this is my favorite. John Crusoe cannot be trusted. <laughs> just, just blazons it out there. And I don't know the man. Maybe. Maybe, maybe I can't trust him, but <laughs> there's just, violent crime has decreased, and it's like, facts, Dallas, it's not decreased, it's worse, and it's like, oh, he's lying, like it, it presents it in such a simple way, and I'm sure when he said that, violent crime has decreased, maybe he was talking about some stat where it has, you know, you know what I mean? Like the manipulation is obvious, but that's also why I love them. Because I see him and it makes me laugh. Uh, like this one. <laughs> Apparently, she just voted for Angie Chen. She's really sad. She's, she's in front of her couch, just crouched down, just feeling like, what have I done? Like, this is, this is how easily manipulated they believe that you are, right? And, and oftentimes, we kind of are. There's a reason they make these, you know? But like, imagine, that, but we don't make big decisions in life through these things. But imagine like, what if it did? What if like, I'll, I'll tell, pick one that's easy to pick on. Let's say love of money. What if like love of money sent you campaign ads? And it was like, uh, you know, you got it. And on one side, it was like good stewardship. It's never had fun in its entire existence. Sure, it pays out, but it takes forever. And his budgets make you look lame when you can't go to the movies with your friends. It's like, and it's like money's trying to slander good stewardship. But then on the other side, you flip it over and it's like, you just need a little more of me, but then I'll make you truly happy. That anxiety in your chest will finally go away and you can leave a lasting legacy to your children. Like that's what money would tell you maybe, right? But it's never so obvious, Right? Like, we never come to these big things in our life, these things that sway our opinions and the, and the choices we make in life. We never come to them, and we never have a, a, a campaign ad 
that like kind of blatantly lies to us, that makes us go, you know, I kind of see what they're saying. Like maybe people would respect me with more money or, you know, but it's not like, I know that's not true. You know what I mean? But then we find ourselves doing things in life where we're acting as if that's true, right? It's like they're sneaky. Those desires that are inside of us uh, for whether it's money or a good career or more respect or freedom of, uh, or, or, or for freedom of choice or safety maybe even or assurance for the future, all the things that we make our choices or power maybe. You know, and that sounds ridiculous to get an ad for money, you know, a campaign ad for money. But that's my question really this morning is all these things are looking for you to submit to their will, essentially. At the end of the day, they want you to do something. They want you to vote for a certain someone. And that's not bad. If you sent one of these, if Angie Chan, if you're in here, I'm sorry. I'm not messing with you. Voting is good. Encourage you to do your civic duty. But when we look at that stuff, you know, you think, man, what is it? Um, what are they wanting? They're wanting me to submit. They're wanting me to do something that they want me to do. And I guess that's my question for us this morning is what are you submitted to? There are a lot of ways to answer, to ask that question. There are many um, nuances to what we submit our, and it's never always just one answer. You know, it's never always real simple. There's other ways to ask it. So maybe some other ways are uh, when, when there are competing goods in your life, which one wins out? You know, when there's things that are both good and you, ha- and you can't do both, which one wins out? That's a good way to see what you're submitted to. Whom or what do you fear? Whose favor do you want? Whom do you want to please? What or whom is your trust in? Where do you set your hope? What's most important to you? What do you spend your time on? Or better asked, what do you waste your time on? What do you watch on Netflix? You know, and what, what really jumped out to me in this passage is Jesus' answers to Pilate in the midst of this just kind of insane situation in his life. Probably the craziest situation he's ever been a part of, and the one that I would argue he was most nervous about. Um, and just and, and then and thinking of that, thinking of Jesus' answer, answers to Pilate in just such a, a scary situation, but then also thinking of the enormity of what he accomplished in this moment. Because what he accomplished was him going to the cross for you and for me willingly. There's going to be tears today because we're talking about the cross. Like, there's, like, like, Jesus went to the cross for you willingly. For all, everything you've ever done wrong, any thought you've ever had that was not of God or that pulled down another human being, like, those are all paid for on the cross by Jesus. Like, he went to the cross to take your sin upon his back and to, and to be crucified to die the death that you and I deserve in order that we could be free of sin, that we don't have to carry that burden. Like, that's amazing. And the enormity of what Jesus accomplished, but how did he do it? He did it through this obedience in one of the hardest times of his life. And that's what today's sermon's title is, is that Jesus was obedient unto death. 
And that's what I want to talk to you about today is obedience, simple obedience. But I want to do it through the lens of this scripture. Uh, And what I really think that we're seeing isn't just Jesus in this one-time moment of like son of God, awesome flex moment, and he's like, oh, I'm going to do this thing through my willpower, and this this is how it's going to happen, right? I don't think that's simply what we're seeing because like part of our doctrines, the things that we believe is that Jesus was fully God, yes, and fully man, So he didn't have this like special access to a superpower, or rather he did, but he chose not to use it. Like he chose to live life as a man and and to go through this with the same temptation, struggles, weaknesses that you or I have. So that's incredible, right? So I don't think it's this flex moment of Jesus being like, watch how easy this is going to be for me to go through this cross experience as the son of God. I'm going to flex and boom, and it's over and it's done. I paid for. You couldn't have done it. And I couldn't have, but what Jesus is showing us here is this amazing obedience because he knew the Father. And so what he's done on my behalf, it's, I want to submit it to you as incredible, as absolutely unbelievable, like what, what he did on your behalf. And then I want to talk about it so it can help us. Does that make sense? Okay. So what do we call ourselves here in the church? What are some names that Christians have for, for one another? Saints, brothers in Christ, disciples of, yes, followers of the way of, that's right. And so what do we see here today? We see a way that Jesus walked. Who wants to go first among that way, right? It's a hard way that Jesus models for us today, but I want you to see, I don't think it's just about, okay, when you're suffering, you got to suffer hard, and, and following Jesus is about suffering. There's many ways to suffer, But I believe what Jesus wants to help us in today is that walking along with him through things in our life that feel like suffering, which often suffering feels like submitting to the will of God in our life, that through that, man, he's going to unlock incredible things in your life, things that you never thought you could experience before. So we're invited into this way of following Jesus today, this practice almost of submitting our wills to God's will to his authority each and every day. And so this practice, another way of saying this is just having a yes to God in your heart for what he wants to do in your life. So I see three things, kind of three lenses I wanna look at this scripture and I hope it opens it up for us today. So exciting news today, guys. This is my shortest outline I've ever had for a sermon. Uh, So warning, it'll either be terrible (laughs) and I'm gonna talk a really long time because I don't have as many guardrails or... It'll be great uh, because it'll be shorter and I'll land on time. But the three, these, three, these three pieces today for the sermon are this. It's what Jesus did. So I want to submit it to you as Jesus is our example. He's the one we are followers of Jesus. We are disciples of Jesus. So he's the one we're looking to follow. So if this is his example, I want to know what it is, why he did it, how he did it, those things. So point one is it's what Jesus did. Point two is that it free, doing this, submitting our will, to, our will to God's will, frees us from the pull and influence of other authorities or of um, subordinate goods is another way to say it. And then three, it is the primary place of invitation into further transformation over time. Okay? So first up, it's what Jesus did. I want to remind you a few things about our passage. So we're in where? What scripture are we in? John 19, Right? 
And Jesus is being essentially sent to the cross. It's the last piece of, of his trial, really. And so just before this, we're in John 14, 15, uh, 16, and 19, or sorry, 16, 17, 18, and 19. And we're leading up to this time, and Jesus has spent time with his disciples, right? He has spent time, kind of almost last, uh, last instructions to them, where he's taught them, he's encouraged them, he's... Uh, he's encouraged him and said, hey, remain in me. Don't leave me, but remain in me. I'm saying this because I don't want you to fall away. And he's, and he's prayed for them in John 17. He's doing all these kind of final things. And then we see Jesus get brought up to this point where he goes to the garden of Gethsemane. And he's there and he's praying to the father, like desperate. He's like, God, if there is any other way, I, it, it's, it's, it's why I said it's his, the thing he was most nervous about. Then how could you blame him? coming up to this moment, and he's like, God, if there's any other way, would you take this cup from me? But not my will, but yours be done. It's like this moment for him of just releasing trust to God. He's like, if there's any way, I'll take it. Any other way, God, I'll take it. If there's any other way than this, please. But if not, Lord, your will be done, not mine. And it's like this final surrender uh, and, and moment of vulnerability for us to see of that, that, that uh, fully man side of him that just did not want to go through this horrible thing that he was about to go through. So that's our, that's our kind of uh, context we're leading up to. And so Jesus finds himself here, and our scripture opens with him getting flogged. And if you don't know what flogging is, essentially a whip with all sorts of bits of metal and glass and other things attached to it. So essentially his back at this point is just shredded, probably the worst pain he's ever experienced. And this is, the midst, this is, the, this is where we enter this conversation that he's, he's able to have, which is incredible to me. It says, um, you know, it's, it says this, it picks up, it says, uh, then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And he's also wearing a crown of thorns and he's, and he's got a purple robe on mocking him. And he's been slapped and all these things have happened. And Pilate has been asking Jesus, trying to gain an understanding of who you are. Why, why are they trying to crucify you? And he comes to, uh, and Pilate's going back out to them. He's saying, why don't you guys crucify him? Why don't you do it? Trying to push it off on the people that have brought Jesus to him. And he comes to Jesus and he asks him who you are, um, or he, he asks him questions. He says, where do you come from? And Jesus doesn't answer. And then verse 10, he says, Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And what I love in this moment is that Pilate's right. Pilate's exactly right. Like he has the power. And Jesus' answer here is this. You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. He's talking about the chief priests when he says that last part. When he says, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. He's saying, hey, God's given you authority over me in this moment. Like, what? Like, what if that was you? And your back is screaming in pain. And you're like, I just want this to be done. Like, would you have said, you know, I, I trust God and his leading. Would you be like, you're right, man. I never said I was going to be king. They just they misunderstood. You know, you'd be like, you'd be desperate to get out of this situation, whatever it is. And this is your chance. Like he's asking. And Jesus just says, 
the authority you have over me is from God. And he just stays in that place. Just blows my mind. And he had a number of other opportunities before this in chapter 18 to, to get rid of it, to let it go. In the garden, he could have got rid of it. He could have said, God, no, I'm not doing this. And he could have left this path. And where would you or I have been? But what he did was follow through and through his obedience, he's done something amazing, you guys. Done something amazing. And we could spend all day on Jesus and what he did and how he did it. But that's Jesus' response here is to say, God's in control. My will is what God wants right now. That's our example, church. My will is what God wants right now. Even in this very human moment. Mm, I love it. And then you go and you look at this. So we, we look at Jesus and then we look at Pilate. How did Pilate respond? Pilate uh, is just running from fear, essentially. He's in charge. If he doesn't do a good job, uh, Caesar's probably going to come and maybe do the same to him. So he doesn't want to make Caesar angry. So he's trying to discern what do the people want. But if I don't crucify him and it causes an uprising, then man, the people might riot and then I'll get in trouble because I didn't keep order. So what's the right thing to do here? And so it even says at one point, uh, after he goes out and he tries to release Jesus again, um, they say, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. And it says, when Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat. Like, that's when he gave up. He's like, okay, I'm gonna finally give in. And even before this, the Jews shout out, we have a law and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. And when Pilate heard this, he was even more what? Afraid. So Pilate's just trying to, he's looking out for himself. He's running away from fear. So that's what Pilate's doing. Let's look at the chief priests. The chief priests are essentially seeking what they want, no matter what they have to do for it, right? So if you look at the chief priests, what's amazing to me is how this echoes another passage in scripture, how they respond. At the very end, the chief priests uh, say this, they declare it. Pilate comes out and he says, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answer, we have no king but Caesar. The chief priests, the religious leaders of the day. And if you look back in, in 1 Samuel 8, there's essentially a passage where up until this point, uh, the Jewish people have been led by God up until this point, and they finally kind of have, or, or they've had it with God, they're tired of waiting for him, <laughs> and they go to God, they go to the prophet Samuel, and they say, we want a king to be like the rest of the people of the earth. We want to be like everybody else, and, and God speaks to Samuel, and he says, hey, don't worry about it, Samuel, this is what they've been doing for a long time. Literally, it says that. He says, this is, this is their way. This is what they've been doing for a long time. And he says, they have not rejected you. They have rejected me. And so the chief priests here have just given up on God. They're saying, oh, we'll say whatever we want. We're the chief priests. We're the religious leaders of Israel. We have no king but Caesar. We want to be like everyone else. Caesar, worldly king, you're our king. This is what we're doing. Does that make sense? So you see here Jesus who's trying to please God, submitting to God, and you see Pilate who's just running to the, to the, to the next decision that's gonna keep him safe. 
And you see the chief priests who are doing, saying anything, even if it goes against any, everything that their people would say that they believe. And they're just running just because they want what? They want to hold on to power. They don't want Jesus coming up and people following him. They're trying to kill him in this moment. And those are the three examples of what you see. And you see Jesus in this moment choose the way that's going to bring life for you and for me. Isn't that amazing? Okay. So I want you to see those three choices. And I want you to go, like, who of those choices wants to spend their life running from fear? But how often is that how we live it, right? Who in here wants to spend their life just desperate, manipulating, twisting, going back on your integrity, doing whatever you can in order to get that thing you want, whatever it may be in life? Nobody wants those things. When you set these choices before, when you make it clear, nobody goes, man, this is how I want to live my life. I want to do everything I can to try to live in this one way, to get this one thing. I want to sell my integrity. I want to sell this. I want to do all that. No one does those things, but it happens by small, incremental influences on your life. Small choices to say, I'm going to do this today to get this, even though I know that's maybe compromising, or I feel God saying I should do this, but I don't want to... I don't want to do that. I'm going to give in to the fear. I'm going to give in to the fear. I'm going to do this thing instead. And what I want you to hear today is that Jesus has another way, and it's always good to submit to the will of God. It is so scary sometimes to submit to the will of God, right? It's so scary because you're going to lose that thing you want. Um, <laughs> I have a... I always talk about my kids because they're just a constant expression of the love of God and my own sin to me <laughs> as I watch them. And so this, I saw this very thing at work in Alder the other day. So we, uh, I came home and Meredith told me this funny story. I actually didn't get to see this myself, but I can see it. I can see his cute little face right now. Alder's two. So he's learning about obedience. He's learning that obeying mommy and daddy leads to life leads to really good things. And then when he doesn't obey mommy and daddy, it does not lead to life. It leads to restriction of other things. It leads to losing privileges. That, and we're trying to teach him that when you obey God, there's blessing. And when you don't obey God, there's not blessing. There's pain in your life. And that's what parenting does. You're, you're helping them to choose Jesus by the way that you parent them. And so with Alder, uh, Meredith heard like this crunching sound coming from the kitchen. And the pantry is off limits. The pantry is off limits to them because they don't, especially to him, maybe not to Addie, but to them because he doesn't know how to make good choices in the pantry, whatever's in there. And so he goes in there and he, you know, she hears this crunching. So she goes up and she, she like, and the, both pantry doors are open and there's no baby in there, but she still hears this crunching. So she goes up and she oh, it closes the pantry door and behind the pantry door, <laughs> he's sat against the back door in the corner with a box of cereal and he's eating it. It's like not the best kind of cereal. It's like sugary cereal. We, we sometimes have sugary cereal in the house. It's all right. Bad parenting choices, I know. But he's, he's sitting there eating this cereal. And as soon as he sees Meredith, he stops. And he puts one more in his mouth. And he, go, and he chews it. And he goes, sorry, mama. <laughs> and it's like, does, sorry, mama. Like, you just popped one in <laughs> and ate it. Like, what are you doing? Like, this isn't, you know, what... I know what you're doing, bud, like, and this big smile, and he, he, he was disciplined for that. We had to walk through discipline for that. So it's like, man, for Alder, that wasn't the best of choices, but I see it at work with him. 
And that's a simple example, but how often is it the same thing? We have something that we really want in life. You know, I really want this relationship. Because I feel like it just, it's going to do so much. I want to be married. You know, I want this person. They make me really happy, but maybe they're not, maybe not, the, maybe they're not the best for me. Maybe our beliefs aren't aligned. That's, I'm trying to cut close to home with that one. Or maybe it's this thing, they've offered me this job and this role, but man, it's going to take me away from my family. And all the things that I said, I've been saying are important, but it's going to pull me away from those things. I'm going to be less present, even more so. Or whatever the decision may be, you can fill in the blank. But so many times there's this thing, and we feel like if this thing gets taken away, I cannot be happy. And that's just not the case. If anything, what God wants for you is to give you those things, but in the right and proper way. Has anyone ever heard of the the principle of first and second things? Anyone? Oh, good. I thought everyone would have heard of it. That's great. Okay. So we're on to our second point now. And this is my notes problem today. So it frees us from the pull and influence of all other authorities or subordinate goods which vie for our affection. So submitting our will to God, it's what Jesus did, right? This is what Jesus did is why we want to do it. We've been through that. We've seen the blessing that Jesus brought into our lives. And this is our Savior. This is who we want to model our actions after. So we want to submit our wills to God like he did. Second, it frees us doing this, submitting our wills to God, frees us from the pull and influence of all other authorities or subordinate goods which vie for our affection. Uh, I'm going to get to the principle of first and second things in a moment. So Matthew 6, 31 through 34 says this, therefore do not be anxious like Alder was, saying, what shall we eat? (laughs) What snacks shall we eat, mother? Snacks, snacks. You know, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble, says the man who went to the cross on our behalf. Do not be anxious about anything. When we submit to God, it gives us an order of things in our life. When we first submit and commit to submit to him, when we say, God, whatever comes in my life, I'm going to give my heart, everything to you first. You're going to be my first thought. When we make this a practice in our life, it literally takes a placeholder and puts it in there so that when other things come along and say, hey, choose me, choose me, I'm the right way. This is what's going to be best for you. Trust me. We can go, wait, 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 wait. I already have a, I've got a placeholder there is what's most important. So I'm going to consult with you, God, first. And if I'm not hearing properly, I'm going to consult with my community first, and they're going to help me discern, to help me work this out and to go, okay, God, what do you want for me? God, what's your will for my life? What do you have for me? Do you want me to, to, to take that job, uh, uh, promotion, so that I can earn more money, even though it's going to take me away from my family? Like, you do, okay, for a season I can do that, or don't, it's not the right call right now. God, I want what's what's most important. God is the one that's going to help you live your life well. Does that make sense? It's so so easy to have this feeling in our hearts that's like, man, God's trying to like, he's out to get me. 
He's out to take good things away. And like, why did Alder need to hide? Because he thought that mama, (laughs) evil mama was going to come and take away the, the delicious snacks. And like, that's how we operate sometimes. We operate like God is, is the snack police and he's going around snatching up, you know, the things we want to eat. When the reality is he wants to give it to us in good measure. If I let Alder have all he wanted, he would destroy himself. He'd have cavities. He wouldn't be able to walk because he'd be so huge. Like, I'm, I'm serious. Like, he would kill himself physically. Like, literally, he would kill himself. He would eat to death things that are good for him because he doesn't know. And over years, he would disciple himself in that behavior. That's what parents, that's what you're doing, parents. Vision for your parenting, keeping your kids from death. Life or death, and not just the the small, not just the big deaths, like cars and and too much snacking. (laughs) But like you're keeping them from the little deaths in their life down the road. Like this is what we're doing. And so I'm getting off track. This is the danger. Okay. So... What we do, it, 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 having, being submitted to God orders things in our life. It sets a placeholder up top that this is what I'm first going to consider before everything else. Does that make sense? And building this as a practice in your life, I can't think of anything more spiritually transforming than that. To take time to stop before every decision. Maybe not like where you're going to park in the parking lot. If you want to, go for it. But like every decision that matters... And to go, God, what are you wanting in this? Community, life group, would you help me? My wife and I, or I'm praying through this thing, this change in my life, this big thing or this small thing, would you help us to discern what, what's, what's, what's the right thing, what's good? Does that make sense? So this is the principle of first and second things now. It's 11.08, okay. Um, who likes C.S. Lewis? Everybody. I was like, you know, I'll toss a little C.S. Lewis in there. Everybody likes him, and no, but he really, he says this better than anyone I've ever heard before. And he's actually talking about, he was looking into art, and why does it seem that art has lost its way? Meaning like, there's like art that people are kind of ashamed to even be looking at these days, whereas art used to be based on beauty and all these high truths. He was looking at art, wondering why this is, and this is kind of unrelated piece, but he he started to come to something else. And he says this, the longer I looked into it, excuse me, the longer I looked into it, the more I came to suspect that I was perceiving a universal law. The woman who makes a dog the center of of, of her life loses in the end, not only her human usefulness and dignity, but even the proper pleasure of dog keeping. The man who makes alcohol his chief good loses not only his job, but his palate and all power of enjoying the earlier and only pleasurable levels of intoxication. It is a glorious thing to feel for a moment or two that the whole meaning of the universe is summed up in one woman. Glorious so long as other duties and pleasures keep tearing you away from her, but clear the decks and so arrange your life that is sometimes feasible that you will have nothing to do but contemplate her And what happens? Of course, this law has been discovered before, but it will stand rediscovery. It may be stated as follows. Every preference of a small good to a great or a partial good to a total good involves the loss of the smaller partial good for which the sacrifice is made. 
Apparently, the world is made that way. You cannot get second things by putting them first. You can get second things only by putting first things first. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Gentiles is not a slur. It means people who don't know Jesus, people who don't know God. People are just trying to figure out life based on their desires and what they want. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Keeping first things first, keeping submission to God's authority as our highest good, checking with God first, is not because you are unwise or you're a baby or you can't handle life or that you're weak. It's because you need God's help. You need God's help. And so often my heart feels like I should be able to handle these decisions without God, right? Like it's a little thing. Why can't I make the decision, God? But when we think about where God is and where we are, why would we not want our good father's help? Does that make sense? So often I'm like, Alder, I got like, if I tell mama, if I ask her, she's gonna say no snacks. I know it, I know it, I know. I've asked her before and she said no snacks. I mean, this is, I I know I'm, I'm taking this analogy to its end, but it's so applicable. He knows to ask for snacks because I can say, Alder, are you allowed to go to the pantry on your own? No. (laughs) Why didn't you ask mommy? Silence. You know, it's like he knows what's good for him. He knows that we have his good in mind, but he doesn't always believe it. And that's where we're at sometimes, church. And I want to submit to you that God is not that way. That he has your good in mind. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, excuse me. And, and what, what's beautiful about this is that this is the prime, is our third point. This is the primary place of invitation to more maturity, more good things in your life. And this isn't like a a get rich quick or here's the three steps you do and God's gonna bless you, no. But this is the primary place of invitation that if you want more in your life, if you want more experience of the Holy Spirit, if you wanna experience the love of God more in your life, if you wanna experience the adventure of God and the risks he's gonna call you to take, all those things, if you wanna experience that, like the chief, the primary place of invitation is Jesus saying, If I ask you to do something, will you do it? If I lead you this way, will you follow or will you fight? And will I ask someone else? Like, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want, I'm not saying don't miss out on your opportunity. Like, I don't, I don't believe that in, 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 in life that if I, if I, man, if I mess up this time, I've missed out on my life. God's got good things for you no matter where you're at. He's got good things that he's got planned for you, but why not have them today? Like, why not say yes to God today and what he's calling you to, right? Says So the other day, this was beautiful to me. I'm gonna talk about Addie for a moment. I told her I wasn't gonna share anything about her, but she'll be okay with this one. So we came home and we've, we've set in place that Addie has to clean her room and do her reading before she does anything else when she comes home. And I came home the other day, and, and I, I don't know what I was thinking. I, well, I know what I was thinking. I was thinking, I've got to work on this. 
<laughs> I've got to work on my sermon. I didn't have as much time as I wanted this week, so I got to work on that. I was like, kids, who wants to watch a show? <laughs> and I was like, yes, my, my parenting on a remote, my, you know, our third parent on a remote. We can just call up anytime and he watches our kids. It's so great. And I, I called up our third parent, uh, and I was about to, rather, and Addie goes, no, Daddy, wait, I have to do my reading and my homework first. And I was like, don't say anything, don't say anything. I was like, act surprised. And I was like, Adela, you're right. I was like, way to go, thank you so much. And I just praised her for that. And I was like, it's working, it's working. I was like, okay, just walk away from this moment, take the win, it's working. Like, it's, it's parenting is working. Like, she's getting it, she's understanding it. It's like, man, there's... Uh, when we do this small practice of saying yes to God, like he begins to open up and do other things. So um, this also, I wasn't planning on sharing this, but the, the other day I, I, um, there was this guy at our school who was emailing uh, some of us and trying to get me and some other guys to volunteer, uh, to volunteer for stuff at the school. And frankly, I didn't want to. <laughs> I was like, I've got enough things to do. And I was like, but Meredith and I have been praying for like relationships at our school to open up and for us to get to know people and to see like God do things in people's lives. So I was like, all right, I'll say yes. And I signed up for some opportunities to do some things at the school. It was like to go and open car doors in the morning and be like, good morning, young man. Are you ready for school? And they, you know, they get out. It's a lot of fun. And it only takes about 30 minutes of time. And so I signed up for a bunch, start doing it, get to know this guy named Matt, uh, who's here this morning. And I got to talk to Matt. And through, our, through conversation and just getting to open car doors and stuff like that, I opened a car door one morning and did all this, and then Addie came to say bye to me, and I gave her a big hug, and I knelt down, and I said what I always say to her. I said, hey, Addie, remember to honor God in all that you do. And Matt happened to be standing right there, and I remember feeling awkward for a second, because I was like, he's right here. He's just going to heard that. Like, I wonder what he'll think, but whatever. And I said it, and then Matt asked me to go to lunch, and we talked, and I got to invite him to church, and he's here now. And I don't know what Matt's going to do. I, I love Matt. He's awesome. He's like in. He's joined our life group. Like he's into this. And it's like, man, this, how cool is this? That like Matt's here this morning. And it's because I said yes to going to volunteer at a school that I didn't want to go do. I mean, seriously, I did not. I, I don't have the time for this. There's so many other things that are more important. I have this, you know, these people. I work for a church. I've got, you know, important things to do. Look after the flock. And it's it like, God's like, stop it. Like, just go and volunteer at the school. Like, do the things that are in your path to do. Like, how awesome is that? You know? And Matt, I, I, I love you, man. Like, I'm really thankful. Like, he was at our, at our guys' discipleship group the other day. It was, like, beautiful. <laughs> like, getting to encourage him, and he got to encourage me. And I was like, man, this guy I just met, it's like... How beautiful is that, that I've got another friend now and someone that knows, someone that's like getting to know Jesus more and more. It's like just beautiful to see how little bits of obedience, even when our hearts aren't in it, God uses those to do powerful things. Does that make sense? Okay. You know, I had, eleven eighteen. I had some practicals. I'm going to skip over those. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, I'll end with this, Galatians 7, 6, 7 through 9, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from, will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, 
for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And then that goes along with submitting our will to God and saying, God, what are you asking me to do? So that's really how I want to end today. We can talk about, I mean, the, 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 the practicals were essentially when you don't know what to do and you're asking God, like bring in your community. Listen to the Lord, hear from him. When you hear what it is, share it with your community and then obey it and then share it with your community again so you can celebrate or they can keep you accountable because you didn't do it. Like, like, just live your life in an open way. Like, be a part of your life group was essentially my practicals. Do this in community. And God's going to start doing things in your life when you say yes to him. If I could have you all stand and the band come up. Um, my heart, really, for you guys is not, is not to come up and be like, all right, this is the will of God talk this morning. Like, are you obeying the will of God? Heavy hand. You know, want, want you to walk away feeling like, Oh, this guilt, like I know that thing I've been saying no to for a while that God's been asking me to do. My, I don't want you to walk away with that because that's not the heart of God. That's not, that's not my heart for my kids. And I'm a man. I'm a human. Like why would this be God's heart for me? So what I want you to hear today is that whatever it is, like there is kindness and there is development from the Holy Spirit for you. The Holy Spirit wants to develop you. He wants to grow you. He wants to help you take that next step in relationship and maturity with him. But it's often the small things that we say, God, what are you wanting to do in this? I don't know. Okay, community, would you help me pray about this and discern? And then take that step. And then guess what? The next week, he's gonna do it again. He's gonna ask you something else that you don't have to be Mother Teresa tomorrow. Thank goodness, because I would fail. If I put myself up to that standard, I'd fail. I'm not Mother Teresa. I don't know why I'm using her right now, but of all the people that are saintly in your life that you know, the person that you would put up on the pedestal, I'm not that. That's okay. Like I make all sorts of mistakes, like all the time. I make, it, I make them all the time. Like I wish I could have a camera in on my life and you could see. Because it's like that, that God's heart for us is that he wants us to take the next step toward maturity. Just that little small thing so that we can, man, we take a step and we go, God, I did it. I still have my snacks. You didn't take my snacks from me. Like you're good. You care about me. You love me. You didn't steal all the good things out of my life because I said yes. You didn't make me go up on the cross. And maybe he will, but he's going to develop you to a point to where you can walk that road and it's going to be joy. You know that for Jesus, it was the joy set before him that he endured the cross. Like, that makes no sense to me. But for Jesus, it was the joy set before him that he endured the cross. That's how he got through it, was because he knew on the other side there was the sheer pleasure of God on his life. And that's what God wants for you. He wants that close relationship where he can share as much of himself with you as possible. Does that make sense? All right, let's pray. Our, our prayer and prophetic team, if you can come on up here and staff overseers just to pray with people. We want to pray with you. If there's that thing that you don't know what to do with in your life, God wants you uh, to come and share it. I believe he does today. I believe he wants you to share it so that you can be kept accountable, so that he can create more uh, joy in your life, more blessing, more freedom, more hope. Uh, and if, if you're a parent in here, uh, and you have kids, I encourage one of you to maybe go pick up your, ch your children because I talk too long. Jesus, thank you so much, God, for what you're doing. Thank you for your heart. 
Lord, thank you for your love for us, God. Thank you that you see everything. You see the small things in our lives. God, you see the small decisions that we make. You see the ones that we agonize over. You see those decisions that we don't know what to do with. And Lord, I just say, we trust you, Jesus, to help lead us in our lives. And we just, almost as an act of faith, but just if, if you so desire, just to say, Jesus, I submit to you. So Jesus, I submit to you. You say it to yourself as many times as you need. Submission is not a bad thing, church. Submission is good when we're submitting to the most loving God, the most loving person you've ever known. I submit to you, Jesus. I give my life to you. Would you, I just submit to you, God. Would you lead my life? As our prayer and prophetic team is up here, if you want to come and share something that you're struggling with, that decision, that what's the will of God for my life in this situation or that, or if you're wanting to give your life to the Lord because you're like, hey, I want to submit everything to you, God. I don't know anything about any of this. I just want to give my heart to you. Jesus, I submit to you. And for those of us who are believers who've been in this for a long time, and if you feel jaded, you feel a little tired, you don't know how to live, your spiritual life feels dry, I just want to invite you just to say, I submit to you again, Jesus. Every part of my life, would you lead my life? And even in the small things, we trust you, God. Let's worship the Lord. Amen.